Well, what's up guys? My name is Sawyer, if we've never met before. Thank you guys, thank you all. I am the middle school director here, so happy to be here. Um, but for real, I just wanted to, uh, to, to thank Todd. I wanted to honor him before you guys, because I think you guys have the best high school pastor in the nation. I mean, that guy is like incredible. So amazing. Todd was actually my high school pastor back in the day. Uh, gleaned a ton of wisdom from him. He's poured into my life. Um, his family's awesome too. So you guys, got, you guys are blessed, man. Todd's amazing. Well, sweet. Well, we can uh, go ahead and hop in tonight. So we've been in a series called Imperfect Family, Imperfect Family. And we, I think we got some, uh, some parents up in here too. Let's give it up for the parents. Yes, they're here. And so we've been talking through Imperfect Family and, and, and really looking at what the Bible says about what God desires our families to look like, how we can, how we can honor him in our families. And so last week, Todd talked through really some misguided priorities that sometimes we can have as families, right? And so as families, sometimes we can start to have some idols in our families that really take first place over the Lord. And so as I was just listening to Todd's message last week, I thought um, I had a picture and it really kind of encapsulates what, what Todd's message was last week. So um, it's from a dude named Shane Pruitt. I think we have a picture of it. And so this is kind of what a lot of what Todd was talking about last week. So he says this, parents, one day our children will also stand before King Jesus and he'll care very little about their grades, their batting averages, their three-point percentages, yards per carry, popularity, college transcripts, or class rank. How are we investing in their souls? That is the one thing that he cares about. And so I thought this was really good just to kind of it encapsulates Todd's message of, man, a lot of times we have all these misguided priorities. We have these idols of worldly success, right? And so what is it that, he, what is it that God's actually calling us to? How do we follow Jesus in our, in our own lives and as, as high schoolers? And how do, how do families all together follow Jesus? So now a lot of you are probably looking at me and thinking, no way that guy has kids. And you're right. I don't have any kids. I I, uh, I have a wife, her name's Kara, she's awesome, and I have a dog named Phyllis, but I have no kids, okay? So really, I'm not, I'm not speaking from the perspective of a parent or raising up godly families. I'm more so speaking from a perspective of just sitting in you guys' seats just over, you know, five, six years ago as a high school student. So I graduated back uh, in, in high school and back in 2017 from North Paulding High School. Where are my Wolfpack people at? Come on. Hey, yes, my people. All right. So North Paulding High School, um, I think I have a pic of me on my first day of school in ninth grade. So this was your boy. <laughs> this is me and my sister. So, uh, dude, I had the buzz cut. I had the polo shirt and the polo shorts. Okay. I mean, I was dripped down to the socks. All right. So that was my first day in ninth grade. I think I was like 80 pounds, five foot one. It was incredible. And so really, really my message today is if I could go back and talk to young Sawyer in ninth grade or to talk to you guys while you're in high school right now, what would I say? What kind of wisdom would I glean to young Sawyer and to you guys as high schoolers right now and how to follow Jesus and navigate your family life? Because sometimes that can be really tough. So I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you have a family that pursues after the Lord wholeheartedly. You know, if you guys are at church every single Sunday, if you guys are here on Sunday nights at Reckless, you guys are serving, giving, the whole nine yards. And I know some of you guys have families that don't know Jesus at all. You're the only Christian in your family. So I hope wherever you're at today that you would just start to realize that as a high school student, as a follower of Jesus, you have a part to play in honoring your family and showing them the love of Jesus. 
So the question that we're going to answer today is how can we thrive in our relationships with Jesus in high school, and how can we do that within our family setting? So this is just going to be kind of super practical. Todd talked a lot about the things that we can struggle with and our misguided priorities. This week, it's just super practical. And um, I, I want to go ahead and say, I don't have all the wisdom in the world. I don't have it all figured out. I'm, I'm still, you know, struggling in, in many different areas, right? I don't, I don't have it all figured out. But we're really just going to point back to God's word. It's not going to be my opinion. It's going to be what God's word has to say on this topic. So the first thing, the best ways to thrive, in your, thrive spiritually within your family is number one is I wish I would have put the Lord first in my life. I wish I would have put the Lord first in my life. So uh, growing up in middle school and high school, I always felt like I had one foot in the world and one foot following Jesus. And sometimes it could be the most miserable spot to be in because I had too much of Jesus to really enjoy the world and, and too much of the world to really enjoy Jesus, right? And so I was in this spot just, just kind of frustrated. And I really started to believe the lie that God was like holding out on me, that I really wanted this life that I wanted to pursue, but God was kind of holding me back in, within his boundaries that he had for me. And so maybe, maybe some of you guys feel that today and you can start to believe that lie that, that God is kind of holding you back from the good life and that being a Christian is, is all about following this set, of, this set of rules and trying to please God. And, and that can be a, a really frustrating spot to be in. And oftentimes, um, because our relationships aren't right with the Lord, this affects all of our relationships, our family relationships, our friendships, our boyfriend and girlfriend relationships. All the relationships can be affected just because our relationships with the Lord aren't right. Um, so kind of, kind of my story, I remember in high school, um, and maybe I've, you guys have heard this before, but I grew up, I loved basketball. Like basketball was the, the main thing that I looked to for fulfillment, for, for, for joy. It was like this huge idol in my life. So all throughout middle school, all throughout high school, growing up, 8th, ninth, 10th, 11th grade, I was, I was on the basketball team. And that was where I found my full identity. Like the Lord was kind of like on the shelf somewhere, but basketball was number one. And so I remember, like this is, this is all I cared about. But uh, come 11th grade year, Remember, I went, to, uh, I went to try out for the team. I ended up not making the team, right? And now it seems silly, but, but back in the day, this was like the worst thing that ever happened to me in my entire life. It was like my whole foundation had crumbled because I, I had built my whole uh, identity based on being a basketball player. Sorry, the basketball player. I remember around this time, I, I, the Lord really started to reveal to me how, man, you don't have me first in your life. Like, I'm, I'm kind of just like a side piece in your life over here while you pursue this, this idol of basketball and all these other things to try to find that fulfillment, try to find that joy. And, and really, that, that left me feeling broken and empty. And so around that time, the Lord started really to reveal those, those idols in my life. And I remember he, he really did this through his word. Um, Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives within me. The life I live now in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So really what this verse says is when we follow Jesus, when we're saved by Jesus, he doesn't just want to be a side piece in our life over here. He actually wants to be the very center of our lives. He wants to reorient everything in our lives to where he's the very center, to where we put him first, where we, we fully pursue after him and everything else comes second. I think about Luke 9, 23 that says this, Whoever wants, me, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And so what Jesus is saying here, he says, deny your own desires, deny your own selfish desires that, that you want to glorify yourself with and fully pursue after me because this is the life that you were created for. And I remember 
you know, 11th, 12th grade years, God was doing this, this heart surgery on me, kind of removing some of those idols. I remember I started to realize, man, the good life is actually found in Jesus. God is not trying to restrict my life and, and make my life suck and miserable. He's actually trying to give me the life that I was created for. We were, we were created for a relationship with Jesus. And so if I could go back and tell myself one thing, it would be, I wish I would have put Jesus first in my life. I wish I would have pursued him first. And so number two, number two, if I could go back, if I could tell ninth grade Sawyer something, I wish I would have made church a greater priority in my life. I wish me and my family would have made church a greater priority in my life. So growing up, we were never really consistent uh, going to church. My family, we kind of we went on and off. Um, we would go, you know, for Christmas and for Easter. Maybe some of your families are like that too. And I remember just, just kind of growing up and, and starting to believe this lie that, man, I don't have to go to church to, to be a Christian. Like, I don't have to be in church, and I, I can be a Christian and kind of do it on my own. And while that is true that Jesus saves us by grace through faith, it's not any of our works or any of the things that we can do to get saved, it is true that, that we actually need community. We need the church to be able to, to thrive and grow in our relationship with Jesus. And so this, is, this isn't my idea. This is, this is actually an idea from Scripture. So Genesis 2.18, the very first book of the Bible, we see God creates who first? Adam. Yes, Adam. Some Bible scholars over here. We see God creates Adam, okay? And Adam's chilling. He's in the garden. He's doing his thing. He's doing the things that the Lord has called him to. But then in Genesis 2.18, I believe we have a verse for it. It says, God says, it is not good for man to be alone. It is not good for man to be alone. And so what God does is he creates Adam, a female, and her name is Eve. And they get married, and they're husband and wife, and they're doing life together. So this is kind of the first time that we see community coming together. The second thing we see, we see all throughout the Old Testament that God chooses his chosen people, which is who? The Israelites. My Bible scholars over here. Yes, sir. So the Israelites. God chooses the Israelites, okay? And he chooses them for the Messiah to eventually come through their line. He's God's chosen people. And as a community, they're following after God's commands, obeying his law, trying their best to, to live up to the standard that God has called them to together, okay? And then thirdly, we see Jesus come to the scene in the gospels, and he actually does life with 12 disciples. He does three years with them, every single day, walking with them, doing life with them, doing life together. God in the flesh, he himself needed community. And then we see in the book of Acts, we see in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit comes down and the church starts and this whole thing starts and all these people start to follow Jesus together, laying their lives down for the sake of the gospel. So for us today, why would we think that we don't need community? Why, why would we think that we can do life, we can do the Christian life alone? Because the reality is we can't, we need other people, we need the church to do life together. And so a few years ago, I was sitting in, in you guys' exact spot. I think I have a picture of my small group from Reckless. It's really tiny. You got to zoom in a little bit. That's okay. So this is my reckless small group back in the day. Okay, so this was my community whenever I was you guys' age. And a lot of these guys, I'm still great friends with to this day. And so uh, around 11th, 12th grade year, I really started to, to make reckless more of a priority in my life, coming to church on Sundays. And what I saw was that I finally started to do life together. I wasn't like alone with my thoughts all the time. I wasn't struggling with my sin behind closed doors by myself. I actually got to open up to these guys and, and really show them, hey, dude, I'm falling short. Like I need accountability in this area. 
Like, man, I need to confess my sins so that I can be healed, like James 5.16 says. I want, I want to be known by these guys right here. I think we got Jacob Braswell over here. Shout out, shout out my, my small group man on the end. And a lot of these guys are still like my best friends to, these day, to this day. And I'll go to them with all the stuff that I still struggle with. I'll go to them with, bro, I'm struggling with this right here. Hey, man, would you pray for me? Like, I'm struggling with this right here. And so for, for all of us today, we need, we need to know that, man, we need community. And, I, and if I could go back to this story right here, I'd say, man, lean even further into that. If I could go back, I, would, I wish I would have went to church with my family more often. I wish I would have made community more of a priority. So going on to number three. Number three. So this might make some of you guys cringe, okay? But I got to say it. So number three, I wish I would have spent more time with my family. Okay, some of you guys are like, bro, you've not, you've not met my family. No way, no way you're, I'm hanging out with them. Well, for some reason, whenever we hit middle school, as, as uh, young people, we start to think that like our parents aren't cool anymore. We're like, yo, I am not hanging out with those people. Like they are freaks. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not hanging out with them. And so the, the problem is the Bible talks a lot about how the family, your family is actually your first ministry. So what does that mean? So the church is amazing. We're, we're called to the body of believers, but God has an emphasis on the family and how that is really the first ministry that we are called to, to minister to and to be a part of and to be built up in. And so for a lot of us, I know, I know some of us, you know, we may not have the best family life and we're like, dude, I, I'm, I don't want to hang out with my family. But for, for others, I think there, there's, there's this law that we start to believe that, man, I, I just need to hang out with my friends 24 seven. I want to be around them. I don't want to be around my family. And what we, what we start to do, we start to miss out on a lot of that family time. And, and a lot of us in the room, we have parents that are amazing believers who have so much wisdom to offer. A lot of them are probably sitting in this room right now. Yes, there they are. <laughs> a lot of them are probably sitting in this room right now and they have, they have so much wisdom to offer. They're, they're pursuing after the Lord. And for you as a high school student, maybe start to, to actually start to get to know your parents and to see them for more than just a means to an end. What I mean by that, I think sometimes we can, we can look at our parents, and we're like, man, I'm, like, I don't really want to hang out with them, but I really need this thing that they need to buy me. <laughs> I, I really want this new pair of shoes, so I'm going to start to like, hang out with my parents for a little bit and then kind of slide in that question, hey, by the way, could you like, buy me this? We do that, right? And so for, all, for a lot of us who have believing parents who, want, who are following after Jesus, take some time to hang out with them and get to know them as a person, not just as a, as a person as, to, to, for a means to an end. Take some time, glean some wisdom from them. Ask them questions about what it means to follow Jesus if they're believers. Hang out with your brothers and your sisters and, and help them glean wisdom for what it means to follow Jesus. And then there's other, others of us who were the only Christian in the family. Like you don't have believing parents. You don't have believing brothers and sisters. And so for you, you feel the weight of, man, I got to be like the spiritual missionary in my family. Like I got to go into my family and like preach the gospel and call them to repent and believe. And while all those things are, are good to, to share the gospel with our family, I think that the first part of really ministering to, to your family is just being there and, and being present and hanging out with them, asking your dad to, to go out to lunch with you, like going to, going to breakfast with your sister, just spending time with them at home. Because um, I, I know I have unbelieving family members, and I can start to have this pressure of like, gosh, I got to share the gospel with them at this, at this family thing. I got I to share, share Jesus with them. I got to share what I'm, what I'm reading in, in God's word. But really, it all starts with that first relationship piece. So I have a, a person in my family 
who they are atheists. They don't, they don't believe in the Lord. Um, they are, 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 pretty, are pretty far off. They don't like Christians. And so I remember just having this pressure of like, man, I got to share the gospel with them for the last few years. And it wasn't until about a year ago, I just had the idea, man, what if I just asked them to, to eat lunch with me and to hang out with me that day? And so I did that. And we started to hang out. And, and this person in my family, you know, as we're just hanging out and get to know each other, uh, we went to eat Korean barbecue. Have you guys ever had Korean barbecue before? Oh, it's amazing. It's so good. And as we were just hanging out and get to know each other, um, having fun, naturally these, these, these conversations started to come up about Jesus and about what it means to follow him. And that day, I actually got to share the gospel with my family member who's an atheist just because I, I started to build that relationship with them and just wanted to hang out with them and spend time with them. I didn't just look at them as a statistic that I could like go in and like save and have another notch on my belt of, of a salvation. And so for maybe, maybe for you today, you either have believing parents, you just need to hang out with them more, get to know them. Or maybe you have an unbelieving family, same thing, hang out with them, get to know them. And those conversations will start to come up. I, I wish I would have known that as a high schooler. And I think sometimes, sometimes as, as Christians in high school, it's really easy to, you know, serve at church and do ministry at church and then go home and, and, and really not honor our parents or honor our family really well. Because at church, everyone's watching. You, you know, you got all your peers watching. It's easy to, to do the right thing, to do the good thing, right, to do the Christian thing. But then we go home and we mistreat our parents and we don't do anything that they've asked us to do or we, or we disrespect them and we don't show them the love of Jesus. But the problem is, like I said, God calls us to, this is our first ministry, our family. That's our family. So that was number three. So number four, number four, last one. So I wish, as a high school student, I wish I would have pursued spiritual disciplines with my family. I wish I would have pursued spiritual disciplines with my family. So the reality is, is that God's word is foundational to following Jesus. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The truth is that God's word is living and active. It's alive. And it's, it's the main way that we get to know our creator, Jesus. Through his word, we get to spend time with him. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All of of scripture is God-breathed and it's beneficial for us to read it and get to know God in our relationship with him. And so for me, I grew up pretty much neglecting God's word my entire life. How many of you guys just hate reading? Like, be honest. How many of you guys just hate reading? So I grew up, I hated reading. I hated it so much. I don't think I read a book up until like late high school, early college. I'm being honest. Like I, I hated reading so much. The only books I would read was uh, Diary of a Wimpy Kid. You guys read those before? Come on, come on. Those were legendary. Or uh, the Guinness Book of World Records. I just looked at the pictures. Um, that, was, that was my reading. Or Ca- Captain Underpants. Captain Underpants. That, oh my gosh. That series, I mean, wow. The pictures were amazing. So, so I hated reading so much. And I would, the thought of even reading the Bible, I wanted to just throw up. Like, I remember my mom would be like, Sawyer, why don't you go like read your Bible instead of playing Xbox? I'm like, mom, are you serious right now? I would never do such a thing. Never. And so I know, I know for a lot of us, reading scripture, that just sounds absolutely horrible. But my, uh, my, my later high school years, 
I started to realize how many misconceptions I had about God growing up, right? Because I grew up, I was inconsistent in church, and then I was never reading my Bible. So I was just kind of guessing what God was like. So in my mind, God was this, was this cosmic being that I had to constantly impress, that I had to constantly work for his grace and his love, that I constantly had to perform to earn um, his love in my life and earn his acceptance. And so I had all these misconceptions about God, and it was absolutely crushing. Like, I, every single day, I laid my head on my pillow, and I was like, God, like, I, I know you're just mad at me. You're angry at me. You're up there with your arms crossed, shaking your head, just so disappointed with me. And that, so that's how I lived, constantly trying to be good enough for God, because I didn't ever read his word, and I wasn't in church being discipled, so I didn't really know what he was actually like. And so it wasn't until my late high school years, my early college years, when, when, when that all changed, I remember I started reading God's word for the very first time in my life. I started to, uh, here at Reckless, I started to be challenged by my small group leader and, and some of the guys in my small group, like, hey, we say that we love God, but we don't ever actually hang out with him. We don't actually spend time with him. We don't actually hear from his word. We're just kind of guessing on what he's like. And then I got into a discipleship group in my early college years, and we decided to read through the entire Bible, the Old and the New Testament. And at first, I absolutely hated it. Like, I, we were reading through the Old Testament. It was so confusing. I had no idea what, what, what God's Word was talking about. I'd show up, and we were supposed to have, like, five chapters read. I'd have, like, one read with all these excuses. But my group, they, they constantly pushed me back. Hey, like, this is, this is important. we we, we got to read God's Word to come to know Him more. And over time, the Holy Spirit started to have a transformation in my heart to where I started to love reading God's Word. And I remember a few of these verses just, just really started to change my life and change my perspective about who I thought God was. So Romans 8.1 says this. This is, this is really foundational in my life. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Or Romans 8.38-39 says this. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so for me, I started to read God's word and start to know, man, God is not constantly just disappointed with me and angry at me. As Christ followers, Romans 8.1 says, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That means our slate is wiped clean. All of our past sin, all of our present sin, all of our future sin has been paid for on the cross. And therefore, God loves me and he accepts me, not because of my works or what I've done, but because of everything that he's done on the cross on my behalf. Like, that's the gospel. And as I started to read God's word and pursue spiritual disciplines and just hang out with him daily and, and pray with him and, and go, go to my community about questions I had about God's word, I started to, to learn more about God and get to know him in an actual relationship. And so for my parents in the room, for you guys, I think the best thing that you guys can do is you can just start to read God's word and model that for your kids, for your students. I know for, for me, my mom, she would wake up like super early, like God would just wake her up at night at like 4 a.m. and she would just start reading the Bible and she would tell me about it in the morning. And so that modeled for me the importance of reading God's word. And even, if, even when I was a middle school and a high school student, I hated reading. I was like, no way I'm doing what my mom's doing. Later, that, that planted a seed of like, man, like my mom is actually putting down her time and, 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 and all, the, all the things she has to do to read God's word and get to know him. So parents, you can model that for your students, and I promise you that you'll have a lasting return on that. And for you students, you guys can start to read God's word for yourself. Maybe you have a ton of misconceptions about who God was, just like I did. You can start to read God's word and get to know him on a personal basis. And for you guys, maybe, maybe you have non-believing family members where your, your family does not know God. Well, you can start to model that 
in, for them in your own life saying, man, like this is, this is my relationship with Jesus and I'm going to spend time with him. And your parents will start to see that. And your brothers and sisters, they'll start to see that and they'll ask, why, why are they doing that? Why are they reading this, this, this Bible? And you'll, you'll then be able to start to minister to your family through that. And so if I could go back, I wish I would have pursued spiritual disciplines with my family, read God's word a, a lot sooner. And so for, for us today, I know that was kind of a lot. Um, that was a lot of different points, some practical things that we can do in our life. Really, I thought about, I thought about kind of this, this bottom line of, we've all heard this, this phrase of WWJD. Stands for what would Jesus do? We see it on bracelets, we see it on hats, we see it on shirts, right? Well, I was listening to, to this pastor, and he was talking about maybe changing that question and, and, and turning into the question of what would Jesus do if he was living my life? What would Jesus do if he was living my life? How would Jesus be a son in my, in my, in my family? How would Jesus be a daughter? How would Jesus be a brother to my brothers and sisters? How would, how would Jesus be a sister to my, my, my sisters and my brothers? What, what, what would he do if he were me, if he were living my life? And I think that can be challenging for a lot of us because I think we can take some self-inventory and we can start to realize, man, maybe I'm not being Jesus to my family. Like maybe I'm just seeing them as, as a means to an end or maybe I'm, I'm not honoring them. Maybe I'm being super disrespectful to them day in and day out. Or maybe I'm not being super nice to my brothers and my sisters who are watching me grow up as a Jesus follower. What would Jesus do if he was living my life? And for you parents in the room, you can ask yourself the, the same thing. What would Jesus do if he was raising my kids? What kind of model would he leave for my children? What would he do? What, what were some of the things that, what, that he would pursue? What, what are the things that he would put number one in their life? What would Jesus do if he was living our lives? And so the bad news is that we've all fallen short of this. Jesus, he came and lived the perfect sinless life that we couldn't live. He, he, he was good for us because we couldn't be good ourselves. So that's the bad news. But the good news is that Jesus came to redeem us. Jesus came to redeem us. He, he laid his life down on the cross. He rose again. He paid for all of our sin debt. And now when we place our faith and trust in him, we can know that we are redeemable, but also everything in our lives is redeemable. You may look at your family today and you're like, dude, Sawyer, no way. My family is redeemable. You, you don't know my family, man. We are messed up. We are broken. Well, the reality is all, we all are. We're all messed up. We're all broken. None of us have it all together. And Jesus is in the business of redeeming people, redeeming families. He wants to use you and your family to show them Jesus, to show them the love of Jesus. He wants to use your family as a force for the kingdom to go and advance the gospel into every tribe, every nation, every tongue so that people can know Jesus. He wants to use you guys. But the question we got to ask yourself is how would Jesus live if he were me? So in small groups today, I just want you guys to take some self-inventory, talk through some of these things, open up about the struggles you have with your family, open up about the things that you're struggling with in your own life, be honest, be open. Because this is a time where we can just take some self-inventory and truly reflect on that question of how would Jesus live if he were living my life? So let's pray. <clears throat> Father, God, we're so thankful for who you are, Lord. We're thankful that you have saved us and redeemed us, God. We're thankful that you have given us a family to be a part of, God. First off, a church family, God, but even more so a family, parents, Moms, dads, brothers, sisters, grandparents, aunts, uncles, God, and you care about it. You care about our family so much that you say that's our first ministry. And so for these students, God, I pray that 
as they're in high school, Lord, and they're, they're facing so many temptations daily on, on to follow the, the world's, um, what, what the world deems as success, God, or to follow what their friends are doing or the peer pressure that, that arises, God. I pray that they would follow you, God. I pray that they would foot, put you first, God. I pray that they would, they would passionately pursue after you, come to know you in a real way, and I pray that they would live the life that, that you are calling them to live. So, Lord, we love you so much. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.